Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The man accused of leaking Pentagon documents appears in court. His defense attorneys argue for his release before trial, but prosecutors say he poses a risk to national security. Former President Trump holds a rally in New Hampshire addressing President Biden's recent campaign announcement. The Biden administration responds to Republicans' plan to slash spending and raise the debt ceiling. What's next after Speaker McCarthy scores a win in the House? A senator proposes issuing subpoenas for Supreme Court justices. Meanwhile, a group of senators want a code of conduct for the high court. A legal expert weighs in. The South Korean president addresses a joint session of U.S. Congress calling for more cooperation to deal with security challenges in the Indo-Pacific region. And the Kremlin gave its thumbs up to recent news that China's leader called the Ukrainian president to initiate a peace agreement. What's in it for China? We hear from a geopolitical analyst. The Air Force National Guardsman accused of leaking highly classified documents appeared in court today. Prosecutors argued that he should remain locked up before his trial because he poses a serious flight risk. NTD's Jason Perry has the latest. United States Air National Guardsman Jack Teixeira is accused of leaking military secrets to a group of gamers online. The FBI arrested Teixeira on April 13th at his home in Massachusetts. He was charged with violating the Espionage Act. If convicted, prosecutors say he faces up to 25 years in prison and potentially far more. He appeared in court on Thursday, and the issue both sides argued over was will Teixeira be allowed to return home before his trial? Teixeira entered the courtroom in an orange prison uniform and smiled at his father in the front row, and his handcuffs were removed before he took a seat. Federal prosecutors argued that Teixeira should remain in jail as he awaits trial, saying... He may still have access to a trove of classified information that would be of tremendous value to hostile nation states that could facilitate his escape from the United States. Teixeira's defense lawyers argued that the government has presented no articulable facts to support these assertions. They also added that the government had no facts that Teixeira intended any of the leaked information to be widely disseminated. This is where the judge gave his opinion, saying... Somebody under the age of 30 has no idea that when they put something on the Internet that it could end up anywhere in this world? Seriously? The Justice Department also included photos of Teixeira's bedroom from the FBI search of his home. There they found a smashed tablet, a laptop, and a gaming console inside a dumpster. Prosecutors also said they had evidence Teixeira told online users to delete all messages. However, the judge did not make a decision at the hearing on whether Teixeira would be released before his trial. Meanwhile, the Department of Defense also continues its investigation. On Wednesday, a United States Air Force spokesman said two Air Force commanders in Teixeira's unit have been suspended, and the Department of Air Force temporarily removed their access from classified systems and information pending further investigation. Jason Perry. NTD News. Former President Trump is making a campaign stop in New Hampshire. This is his first rally since President Biden declared his run. 
On Tuesday, Joe Biden officially announced that he will seek four more disastrous years in the White House. The choice in this election is now between strength and weakness, between success or failure, between safety or anarchy, between peace or conflict and prosperity or catastrophe. Trump criticized Biden's economic record and didn't focus as much on other GOP candidates. Trump and Biden are widely expected to face off again in 2024. This is Trump's first visit to New Hampshire since January. While there, he received over 50 endorsements from state lawmakers. New Hampshire will be the second state after Iowa to hold the Republican primary next year. A poll from the University of New Hampshire last week shows Trump in a first place in a hypothetical Republican primary, which included Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And the ball is now in President Biden's court, but the White House today doubled down on its refusal to negotiate on the GOP's debt ceiling plan. NTD's Iris Tao brings us more from the nation's capital. House Republicans have now passed a bill to raise the nation's debt ceiling while cutting federal spending. But the White House on Thursday doubled down on its refusal to negotiate while calling the bill an extreme MAGA wish list. Watch. House Republicans are holding the economy hostage, threatening Americans' jobs and retirement savings unless we and the Senate agree on an extreme MAGA wish list. We've done our job. On Wednesday evening, House Republicans passed a bill to raise the debt limit. But that's on the condition that a government needs to limit its spending growth to 1% per year. It'll also claw back COVID relief money, slash new funding for the IRS, and block the Biden administration's student loan cancellation plan. And while the White House slams it, it'll kill jobs. Republicans say their plan will save taxpayer money for what's really needed. It will protect people who need the benefits while at the same time providing an incentive for people to get back in the workforce. The Democrats say the GOP's bill is dead on arrival. The state will accept nothing else but... For a clean plan to avoid default with no ransom notes, no floors, no brinksmanship. But time is running out. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the nation's largest business lobbying group, is now directly calling on the Biden administration to start negotiations now that Republicans have passed their bill. And President Biden, meanwhile, insisting on Wednesday. Happy to meet with McCarthy, but not on whether or not the debt limit gets extended. And in the coming days, the U.S. Treasury would unveil a new date after which the government would actually run out of money and potentially default on its payment if the debt ceiling is not lifted. And as that's coming, the pressure will only intensify for Biden and Republicans to start talking. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, WNTD News. Next, we'll hear from a representative who voted on the debt limit and about another recent vote in the House. This one is on women in sports. Republican Congressman Ralph Norman of South Carolina co-sponsored that bill, and I spoke with him about it earlier today. Representative Ralph Norman, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for coming on. Well, great to be with you, Stephanie. Thank you for having me. Now, you co-sponsored the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act, which passed in the House last week. Could you tell me more about that? Yeah, the, the plan or the, the, the bill was to not allow bi biological men to compete in biological women's sports. It's, it's as simple as that. It, we had a lot of debate on it, but the idea that a man 
uh, who's a biological man can just identify as a female, not have any surgery, and, and just say that I can that that the person is a is a woman, is like me saying that I'm Bill Gates. I need some money, and it's uh, it does doesn't make any sense. And the, the fact that we even having the discussion in the House of Representatives with all the other problems uh, is amazing. But it was brought on by Riley Gaines, the Kentucky swimmer, who Leah Thomas, who was a biological male, won against, who was ranked, by the way, 464th in the men's competition, who entered the championship with her and beat her and took the trophy, which was so unfair. And why do you think this issue needs to be addressed at the federal level instead of the state level? Well, the, the states, you know, it's a t it really is a Tenth Amendment issue, but the federal government has gotten involved in every aspect of our lives, and the states were scared to do anything for being, uh, having to go to court and defend it. And so it was easier just to, to put it into law and uh, make it, end it once and for all. And so... I think by setting this benchmark will be good for the states to follow. And there's a whole other host of issues. It's not just that, that the states are dealing with, and it's not just the sports. It's uh, We have situations in South Carolina where biological men claim to be tra transgenders are in, in uh, female bathrooms. That's wrong. So there's a host of other issues that will stem off what we did, but we made the first step. And on another topic, the national budget, the House has just passed a bill to raise the national debt. So we may be at a crossroads here. What are your thoughts on that? We are at a crossroads. We're at the end of the runway uh, when it comes to the financial uh, viability of America. Uh, I wasn't sent to Congress to bankrupt this country. And economic security is national security. And everybody has will agree that we can't keep the path uh, of increasing uh, the debt that is now $32 trillion. Uh, we can't keep spending with no offsets. The hypocrisy of this administration to say they cannot cut $1 off anything. The president is on record. He wants a clean, a clean debt ceiling, which means no cuts. So he won't even cut a dollar. It's an insult uh, to the taxpayer, and it's an insult uh, to the viability of America. And this goes a long way to, to uh, attempting to solve our debt situation. Uh, and they never thought we could get there, We could that the Republicans could get enough support. We did. And the plan that we put forward for the Senate is to uh, to agree with it, or it'll be on the Senate if this country cannot meet its debt and it goes into, into insolvency. So uh, we put something forward, it's up to them to act on it. And it's all common sense, Stephanie. None of it is, even though you will hear from, as we move forward, the sky is falling, and I imagine they will run, they will go to the very end of, of June and say that, you know, we they basically call 911 and say we're going to default. Well, it's on the Democrats and it's on the Senate if they do that. Representative Ralph Norman of South Carolina, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. A senator is proposing issuing subpoenas for Supreme Court justices. That's after Chief Justice Roberts declined to testify under oath. NTD's Arian Pazdar spoke with a legal expert to explore the ongoing scrutiny surrounding the nation's highest court. 
Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal on Thursday said, In my view, we should consider issuing subpoenas for Supreme Court justices, whether it is Justice Thomas or someone else, but also for other evidence. This comes after Chief Justice John Roberts on Tuesday declined an invitation to testify under oath. He sent this letter noting that testimony before Congress by the Supreme Court's Chief Justice is exceedingly rare, as one might expect, in light of separation of powers concerns, and that there are only two prior instances, one in 1921 and the other one in 1935. This comes amid increased scrutiny, mostly from Democrats, surrounding the Supreme Court's rules. Maine Senator Angus King and Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski on Wednesday introduced the Supreme Court Code of Conduct Act. It would order the nation's highest court to write a code of conduct for itself. All they have to do is take the federal canons of judicial ethics, which were already in place for every federal judge in the country, and apply them to the Supreme Court. Matt Staver is a lawyer and founder and chairman of Liberty Council. He tells me the ethical codes that apply to attorneys and judges also apply to Supreme Court justices. So they've already had and always have had an ethical code under which they have to operate. That's interesting. So why do these senators then want to impose a new code? I think the senators, some of them have a political agenda. They don't like some of the decisions. They're trying to lash out and they're trying to assert control. Uh, the problem is that really oversteps the boundaries of the three branches of government. This comes after reports that a Republican donor has been inviting Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas to luxurious vacations for years. Thomas says he was advised he didn't have to disclose the trips because the two are close friends. However, many Democrats now say Thomas was supposed to disclose those gifts. I think Justice Thomas did what he was required to do, and certainly the rules have changed or will change in the future, and Justice Thomas and the other justices will comply with it. The Senate Judiciary Committee is set to hold a hearing on Tuesday to review the Supreme Court's ethical standards. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. Chaos at the border is expected to grow as a key immigration measure expires. Today, House Republicans and the Biden administration each unveil their own plans to secure the border. NTD's Melina Wisecup has the details on these differing proposals. House Republicans tell us they're prepared to bring a border security package to the floor for a vote in the coming weeks. This package includes reforming the asylum process, restarting construction of the border wall, hiring more Border Patrol agents, among other measures. GOP leadership tells us this is the Republican fix for the illegal immigration surge. It deals with the unaccompanied alien children issue I just talked about. It deals with the Flores situation, deals with asylum, E-Verify, parole authority, and of course the Remain in Mexico policy. But Democrats aren't buying it, saying that this would create even more chaos at the border by essentially shutting down the asylum process. This GOP proposal comes at a time when Title 42 is expected to end in just two weeks. That's that pandemic era policy that allows Border Patrol agents to return illegal immigrants back to their home countries. The Biden administration, since taking office, has flip-flopped between trying to discard Title 
Title 42 and making extensions to keep it in place. Now the Biden administration is warning of an expected influx in illegal immigration. Once this pandemic era policy does come to an end, they announced a new proposal to create more processing centers in Central American countries to reduce some of this influx. Secretary Mayorkas sent a message to cartels when he announced this new plan. Take a look. The smuggler's propaganda is false. Let me be clear. Our border is not open and will not be open after May 11th. This is a hemispheric challenge that demands hemispheric solutions. Part of that proposal is to create more processing centers in Central America. Do you think that would in any way reduce the volume of migrants coming to the U.S. border? What President Biden and Secretary Mayorkas are doing are doubling down on the failed policies that created this problem rather than working with us to solve the problem. Whenever you say we're going to create a quicker pathway into the United States, more people are going to come. And then they get here and they, they call home and say, hey, the door really is open. So they Everybody else comes. And the more that incentive happens, the wave just gets bigger and bigger. This GOP proposal is expected to be a party line vote because it does only focus on border security and does not include any immigration reform like Democrats have been pushing for. So while it is likely to pass the House in May, its fate in the Senate is an uphill battle. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol addressed a joint session of Congress today. He's on a state visit to the United States to celebrate his country's alliance with the U.S. South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol is marking the 70th anniversary of the alliance between the U.S. and South Korea. In an address to the U.S. Congress on Thursday, he paid tribute to the American service members who fought in the Korean War. We have many reasons to celebrate our platinum anniversary. We had no guarantees of success when it started. But today, our alliance is stronger than ever, more prosperous together, and more connected like no other. His speech covered economic cooperation and cultural exchanges. But more than anything, the South Korean president highlighted the threat his country faces. North Korea's nuclear program and missile provocations pose a serious threat to the peace on the Korean Peninsula and beyond. To deter its reckless behavior, the alliance must stand united with determination. He is calling for greater security cooperation among the U.S., Japan, and South Korea. Thank you. A packed House chamber greeted his speech with a standing ovation and loud cheers. Democratic Congressman Jim Costa, who sits on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, told NTD his reaction to the speech by call. I thought those were all high points, uh, along with uh, uh, reminding all of us that North Korea is a threat to not just South Korea, but to the Indo-Pacific that we must stand together with our partners in the Indo-Pacific to deal with the threat of, of North Korea. Costa also said he wished Yoon would have talked more about communist China because it's a bigger economy compared to North Korea and a bigger challenge to deal with. The congressman added that lawmakers from both parties need to come together and have a strategic plan to deal with the Chinese regime.
Well, I think that the House Foreign Relations Committee has got generally a, um, a bipartisan approach, uh, not only as it relates to uh, Korea uh, and Taiwan, but certainly uh, with the threat that China poses. And uh, we have yet to come together with, I think, a, a longer-term strategy. Thursday marked the final day of Yoon's state visit to the United States. President Biden on Wednesday night held a state dinner for him at the White House. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Russia's press secretary said today it welcomed a recent call between China's leader Xi Jinping and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Is China simply trying to initiate a peace agreement, or does it have ulterior motives? NTD's Arlene Richards finds out more. At a news conference on Thursday, Russian Press Secretary Dmitry Peskov said the Kremlin supported China's efforts to bring an end to the conflict in Ukraine. China's leader Xi Jinping made his first call on Wednesday to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Russian news agency TASS reports that Peskov said, quote, we are ready to welcome everything that can bring the end of the conflict to Ukraine closer, and in fact, Russia's achievement of all of its goals. Last month, she met with Russian President Vladimir Putin on a three-day trip. Putin has said many parts of China's peace plan are in line with Russia's approaches. Peskov told reporters that she didn't discuss Kyiv's peace proposal with Putin. But Zelensky was upbeat after the talk. He said in a Facebook post, I believe that our conversation today will give a powerful impetus to the return, preservation and development of this dynamic at all levels. I spoke with geopolitical analyst Brandon Weikert to get his take on China's peace initiative. Do you think China sincerely wants to work out a peace agreement or is there an ulterior motive? Well, with China, there's always an ulterior motive. I guess you could say that, though, about any great power. But I think in this case, uh, China's trying to set a, a tone. They're trying to send a message to the rest of the world. And that is the Americans have been the top dog superpower for the last, you know, at least 30 years. He said China wants to be able to say that it deserves global support to be the next great power. Weikert blamed the U.S. for Zelensky now turning to China. That the Americans could have told their partners in Kyiv, you got to make a deal now. That was when we had all the leverage. And what did the Biden administration do? They turned to Zelensky and said, under no circumstance will you make a deal. Start shifting your resources and going on, on the offense. And actually, uh, the White House did respond to this. And according to the White House, this was a good thing for Ukraine and China to talk to one another. And, and they said that whether or not a peace deal happens largely depends on Ukraine. What's your response? Yes. Yes. Well, my response is the White House has no choice but to say that because they have a lot of egg on their face, don't they? This he said China is trying to broker a deal that looks almost exactly like a deal the White House talked about but never negotiated. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Coming up, talk show host Jerry Springer died today. He was 79 years old. His eponymous show ran for 27 years. And in baseball news, not many players make their major league debut after spending a dozen years in the minors. But last night, the nearly impossible happened. We'll have that story and more coming up.
talk show host Jerry Springer died today at the age of 79. Springer's publicist confirmed the news this morning. The controversial host is best known for his raucous TV show, The Jerry Springer Show. It came out in 1991 and ran for 27 years. At its peak, its ratings beat those of The Oprah Winfrey Show. But it was considered a symbol of lowbrow TV, featuring bickering, profanity, and dysfunctional families. Springer called it escapist entertainment, while others argued the show led to a decline in American social values. Springer served as mayor of Cincinnati from 1977 to 78. And now to sports news, here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. The NFL draft begins tonight starting at 8 p.m. with the Carolina Panthers picking first. Now they're all but certain to select the quarterback. The question is which one? Among the top contenders are Alabama's Bryce Young, Ohio State's C.J. Stroud, and Anthony Richardson from Florida. Now tonight is just the first round, and though there are 32 teams, there'll be just 31 picks. That's because the Miami Dolphins were stripped of their pick after the league found them guilty of impermissible communications with former Tampa Bay quarterback Tom Brady and former Saints coach Sean Payton. They also lost their third round pick for next year's draft and were fined $1.5 million. And in baseball news, a longtime dream finally came true for 33-year-old Drew Maggi, who made his Major League debut last night with the Pittsburgh Pirates after 13 years in the minors. Maggi's name was finally called in the eighth inning when he came up to pinch hit, drawing a standing ovation. Known as a super utility player who can play nearly every position on the field, Maggi struck out on four pitches, but said afterward it was the best strikeout I ever had. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, outside the NFL draft, more playoff action. First in the NBA in Atlanta as Boston looks to close out the series of the Hawks up 3-2. Meanwhile in the NHL, trio of Game 5s as New Jersey hosts the New York Rangers in a series tied at 2. Tampa Bay plays at Toronto down 3-1 and Las Vegas faces Winnipeg at home looking for a win to close out the series. And finally, for you baseball fans, five games on tonight, including a Yankees-Rangers matchup in Texas with New York ace Garrett Cole on the mound. Cole is off to a blazing start this year, ranking second in wins, third in ERA, and ninth in strikeouts through five starts. And that is it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.